Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the Broadway scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders keeping theater alive during the pandemic. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to members of the creative and producing team behind Animal Wisdom, the new musical performance piece that's been described as an avant cabaret seance in which the composer-performer Heather Christian confronts the ghosts that haunt her. The show was first performed at the Bushwick Star in Brooklyn in 2017, and when the pandemic altered plans for a 2020 tour, a filmed version was shot this spring at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C., and will be available to stream nationwide starting May 15th. Later in this episode, I'll be talking with the leaders of the Bushwick Star, Woolly Mammoth, and ACT in San Francisco about their involvement in the project. But first, here's the composer and performer Heather Christian on reimagining her live performance as a film. Hey, Heather. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, to start off, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about Animal Wisdom as it existed and as you performed it back in 2017 at the Bushwick Star. Sure. Um, so Animal Wisdom uh, in 2017 um, <laughs> is a hybrid concert theater seance performance um, that is sort of uh, a requiem within a requiem. Um, I worked for the Catholic Church for 25 years and sort of grew up around um, ancient religious form. Um, and I was interested in writing a play that followed the uh, the EKG of a requiem mass rather than a traditional dramatic structure. Um, and then I stuck a textually adapted requiem in the middle of it. Um, in addition to that, um, practically what that meant is that I, um, I needed to exercise something out of myself. Um, that was sort of the reason why, um, I have felt haunted, my entire life. Um, and right before we opened, or not right before, like five years before we opened Animal Wisdom, um, I had come down with a crippling case of what I had defined as career-ending performance anxiety. And so I tasked myself with um, with writing a show to uh, to exercise that demon. <laughs> so, 
that's what animal wisdom is it's a show about letting go um of the actual ghosts that you keep um of uh, the traumatic events that you carry with you um and hopefully it, it attempts to arrive at some sort of communion with a bunch of strangers who mm. you know inevitably have been going through a very similar thing yeah um and that was that that was the show yeah, and that was you and a group of actors who you performed with, right? It was yes. it was you and uh, actor musicians, yes. Right, actor musicians, right, right. And so what do you remember about the experience of that run in 2017? Did it number one, did it work as an exorcism for you? And <laughs> uh yeah, it yeah, did. Good. Actually, it did. I will I will um I will show my hand a little bit here in terms of what, exactly what what a crazy lady I am and say that the, the night before uh, we closed, I, um, I got hit like with a lightning strike of like, Oh no, Mozart's Requiem killed him. What? If <laughs> yeah, girl, you were, yeah, yeah, girl, you're Mozart. Um, so I was afraid. I mean, it did, there's, there's a pretty uh, violent ritual that I stage in the middle of the show, which is uh, we plunge the theater into a complete blackout. And when I say complete, I mean, no footlights, no exit signs. We taped over every single like lightly in the, in the, in the space. Um, and uh, we listened to this Requiem for 27 minutes, which is the exact duration of how long your brain can sustain the chemical release of a panic attack. Um, and I, uh, it was that that was the ritual i think mm -hmm. um that that was the ritual that i performed for four months almost every night um that sort of got me stronger um and once we finished once we finished running the show and i survived it because that's the hardest shit i've ever done <laughs> um yeah that sort of serves as the exorcism like proving something to yourself um, mm -hmm. that you didn't think that you were capable of. That's the real exorcism. Proving to yourself that you have a community that you didn't think you had. That's the exorcism. Mm -hmm. um, so yes. And I don't remember the first part of your question. I'm well, sorry. it actually leads me into my next question, which which yeah. was what, at the time, did you imagine a future life for the show? Did you imagine doing the show again after four months? Or what was what was the future life for that show looking like in your head at that time? At that time, uh, I was so exhausted um, mm. that I, I did not think that the show had a, had a second life in it. No. Mm. Um, the, it, it also, because I wrote it to exist for a very specific version of myself and a very specific moment in time where I was struggling with something. Um, and the physical task of doing the show is so immense that I, I just couldn't envision a situation where a, um, you know, where any sort of theatrical production institution would take on board um, <laughs> the labor of um, both hiring a massive choir and um, and agreeing to only let me do uh, four to five shows a week um, because I I don't think anyone can perform this show more than four or five times a week if it's me or if it's another performer. Mm. Um, so I didn't think that it was going to be feasible for this to have any other kind of life other than, you know, a record, um, yeah. which we made. All right. And so when did the, the film version, how did that evolve? And tell us a little bit about sort of what it looks like. Like, is it a film performance? Is it a film adaptation? Like, t tell us a bit about it. So it's how it a came film about. adaptation. Okay. It's a film adaptation. I, it came about because basically I bullied 
um, I bullied. <laughs> I did. I, I bullied two institutions uh, into the idea. Um, basically, COVID, quote, right, COVID is the origin story of so right. much of the art that we have right now. Um, I was supposed to, in 2020, the summer of 2020, start um, a national tour of animal wisdom that was going to have a big sit down in uh, Washington, D.C. at Woolly Mammoth. And then we were going to go to ACT in San Francisco and have a big sit down run there. Right. Um, and so by that point, you had come around to the idea of doing the show again. I had. Yourself. yeah, okay. I had. But also because I had had lots of conversations with um, Maria Goyanis at Woolly Mammoth, who was mm -hmm. absolutely not opposed to me uh, hiring an understudy and hiring an alternate performer and finding someone who could give the, the show their own personal um, mm -hmm. life and flavor and not pretend to be me. Um, so we were in the process of making that happen. Um so we started pushing these calendar dates back, as we all did. We were like, oh, it's going to be fine in three weeks. Oh, it's going to be fine in three months. And then it's like, <laughs> well, Wooly was still open to the idea last year. I guess it was summer of last year. Um, Wooly was still open to the idea of doing a limited engagement run. ACT was not. Um, so the idea was that we were going to mount animal wisdom for a more limited engagement with, um, with, uh, strictly ca capped seating mm. at Wooly and ACT was going to send the camera crew and they were going to tape it. Mm. I heard this and I immediately, uh, reacted to it <laughs> in a negative mm. way. Mm. Um, because the show is so much about, um, the space that it's in. And it's so much about um, the the individuals that it shares that space with. It's really important um, that there be that it be an intimate experience. Um, the show is so much about the container, um, and it's and it's my it's like my formative. It's a, it's the story of my formative trauma. I mean, it's put in it's put in a fancy dress, but like ultimately, this is a very personal document. Um, and so of course I had this massive emotional <laughs> reaction and I was like, we can't do this unless I have the means to control how it is received. And a living room is a much different theatrical vessel than a theater. And I am on board for adapting it in such a way where, um, the piece becomes less, uh, a filmed a, a filmed version of a theatrical piece and more a ritual that is performed in your living room to reconsecrate your external space and your internal space. So that was sort of the directive that I gave myself of um, you know how how does this show fulfill that function um, with a distant community? Yeah, and how does it? Did you find what what are some of the discoveries you made along the way in terms of what it looks like and how it exists in that new uh, form? Um. I mean, I'm discovering a thousand things because I've never seen the damn thing before. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so I, I feel like every every bit of it is a revelation. I will find. I I will say that some of the rules that I thought I was breaking that were um, really taboo um, don't actually come across as that taboo when you mm. break them. <laughs> if you just change the directive like um like speaking into a camera like using like looking into a camera and talking to it like it's a person like mm. it's not that unnerving if you just um you know if you just establish that that's what we're gonna do um and that's the thing and you get used to it pretty quick and so it can become a personal experience yeah. um yeah 
how do you think how do you think the show will land differently with audiences in this distance setting versus the audiences who are all around you at the Bushwick Star? Do you have a sense of yet of what the piece carries for them? I I only have a, like a hope of what it carries. Mm. Um, I know that I when we were doing the theatrical performance, it felt like a massive ask to bring a bunch of people into a room who bought a ticket to a theater show and then ask them to um, walk down this road of like internal reflection and excavation with me and really think about what they're grieving and what they're carrying. That felt like a massive ask. Mm. After this year, I, I really do feel like everybody has already had this has had this space, this reflective space foisted upon them and that we're all kind of looking at ourselves and how we've prioritized our lives and how we move move through the world and what we're carrying and try to figure out a way to carry it more gracefully or let some of it the fuck go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this piece, what I hope this piece is, is like a rung on that ladder or at least like an acknowledgement that's where we are all at <laughs> currently. Um, and letting it go in some cases can, can I mean, uh, take a page out of the book of the Catholics, like can be as simple as ritualizing it, of just saying, I'm going to let it go. That's what I'm doing right now. And then I'm going to do a bunch of stuff to, to signify that I'm letting this go. Um, and you just kind of do. Right. Yeah. Has this experience and the experience of, you know, you did a piece for theater in quarantine as well. Have you thought a little bit about, or has it made you think any differently about the ways in which liveness is a component, an an integral component of the work that you make? And do you think differently about work that is made not necessarily to be performed live? Like what's your, what's your, what's the interplay for you in terms of liveness and then sort of capture of liveness? What's the, what, how does that figure into your own thinking as a composer? Um, I mean, I feel like the, I, I'm interested in writing for all different kinds of scenarios. Mm. Um, what's been real tasty about this, this period in time is that we're thinking about it we're blurring the lines between between a lot of these things right now in a really interesting way of what what is live. I for my money, I'm I'm not particularly interested in watching a filmed live thing. Hmm. Um, but I am interested in like pieces that uh, that like push the boundary and are asking exactly what you're what you're asking asking that question of what what makes it live. Like that's why theater and quarantine is so exciting is because they're like, what does live mean? Let's <laughs> let's figure out a million different ways to figure out what live means. Do you, do you think you'll continue to do that and sort of, you know, poke at that uh, even oh, yeah. after we're all, yeah? I think so. I mean, I feel like this is, this has forced me to think about um, how to marry my love of recording my love of like being in a recording studio with my love of making like 360 degree art which is not these two pools never kind of met they never really met before Mm. and this is really forced I think all of us to like think creatively about um how those things can speak to each other now Mm. um so I have more ideas now than I did you know a year and a half ago because I've had to have them in order to keep going (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of 
looking ahead, uh, when the pandemic shut theaters in New York town, you were, is it two performances into your new show? Yeah. Two previews rather. Yeah, exactly. Um, tell us a little bit about that show and what the plan is. I know it's still around and we'll be back at some point in some form. Tell us a little bit about where, when and where we can hope to see that. (laughs) So, uh, oratorio for living things is a, um, I attempted to write a classical, a, I'm using air quotes if you can't see me, a <laughs> classical oratorio um, in that it is or an oratorio in its form and it has no narrative um, about um, the religious epiphany I had when reading a book by Carlo Rovelli, who is a, an Italian physicist called The Order of Time. Um, it got me thinking about how time is... Um, really the most holy of trace fossils that we will leave behind as a human species. Mm. And um, so the first act is written in, um, and but in time is something that only scales with us because we are the only ones who clock it. So the first act is written in uh, what I imagine to be quantum time, which is um, time at a molecular scale and how that, um, how I think that feels um, that mostly deals with the origin of species and the forming of elements um, then there's human time and, uh, that's a memory act. I collected voicemails from strangers for a couple of years and then, um, set the text into these big, uh, classical fugues. Mm-hmm. And then the la- final act is cosmic time. And the only way that we can measure time in space is by, um, uh, when there are collisions that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so cosmic time is a lot about violence. So I'm trying to like investigate all these different um, aspects of of time, why it's holy, why it's emotional, and take why uh, why theoretical physics <laughs> is an emotional thing in the first place. And it's twelve vocalists um, in a non proscenium space. It's an immersive space. Um, we we made an oratory, or sorry, an aura, an oratory um, mm-hmm. to mount the thing in specifically for it. Um, and it is a sung through, um, piece and we have a small teapot or a teacup orchestra of six, six musicians and 12 incredibly virtuosic vocalists. And we're probably going to have to wait until next year, um, Mm. to bring it back because it is literally the deadliest show in showbiz (laughs) in COVID era because people are singing two feet away from your face. Um, and proximity is part of what we're is one of the tools that we are using to um, to illustrate a bunch of the the concepts that are in the music. So yeah. I don't I don't know that I want to compromise. Yeah, I was just going to ask actually. So that's not something you wouldn't consider doing something like, or at least not yet, doing something like you've done with Animal Wisdom for Oratorio. I don't not until it's had its moment. I don't mm. think I think it really needs to to have its moment. So I can run this experiment to see if it works. And I feel like after after that point, then we can talk about, you know, whether the thing wants to go to a more traditional concert venue. Right. Um, if the thing wants to, I don't know if this particular thing will have a life as a as a film yeah. <laughs> or as a recording. Yeah. Although, I mean, I listen, I listen to Carmen and Burana on repeat mm-hmm. um, and have a very um, fleshed out theatrical experience every time I do so, but I don't. I think that's probably for later for right. this piece. Yeah. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing the live oratorio when we can. And even before that, we will get to see uh, the Animal Wisdom film. Uh, we're yes. looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for joining me, Heather. Thanks Thank for talking to me about it. Yeah. Okay.
That was Heather Christian, the creator and star of Animal Wisdom. I'll have more on the show right after the break. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Now, let's take a look at the film version of Animal Wisdom from another angle, as I speak with the leaders of three organizations involved in the production of the film. Nola Lane of the Bushwick Star, Maria Goyanis of Woolly Mammoth, and Pam McKinnon of ACT. Hi, Noel, Maria, and Pam. Thanks for joining me. Great nice to, to be, be here. here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Noel, I wonder if we could just start with you to talk a little bit about your experience with animal wisdom at the Bushwick Star. And uh, I, I just wonder if even then you were imagining being involved in that piece, having a future life in some way. Yeah. Um, well, making it uh, was such a bit of an adventure. I mean, Heather, um, working with Heather is a pretty amazing experience. Um, she's an artist who has very strong, very strong feelings about what she's making and such a like depth of uh, resources to pull from when she's when she's making a piece in terms of the music and her like um, sense of how she's trying to communicate and what kind of environment she's trying to create. Um, and yet at the same time, um, it was in a state where Heather was very like uh, upfront from the beginning about like, she needs help, like some outside eyes to shape this thing and figure out like what it is and how it really functions for an audience. Um, so that was a really fun collaboration, but that all goes to say, I guess we weren't quite sure what we were going to end up with and, um, and how it was going to be received. And so the, you know, there wasn't this thought that like, oh, and then it should travel. It was like, let's make it, let's figure out what this thing is. Let's invest in, you know, the, this, this moment right now. And the wonderful surprise was to see, not so much a surprise, but, but definitely, uh, you know, a relief to see how strongly people did react to it. Um, and, and how, um, you know, it was, it, it really had a really great reception when we did it at the star. So I think that's when the conversation started to happen. Maria, um, I think, you know, pulled my coat at another show we were at together at, at, at Jack and, um, and said, <laughs> Hey, what's happening with that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, at that time I was, we didn't know, but that's that's exactly how the conversation started. Yeah. And then so I guess for Maria and Pam, I wonder if you could first just tell us a little bit about what about Animal Wisdom made the show a good fit for your organization and your audiences. I guess, Maria, let's start with you in terms of what you responded to and why you were so interested in having it having it come initially in in the plan was to do it in a you know, live performance. Yeah, you know, I um, 
I've known Heather for a long time. I've seen her perform for a long time in Taylor Mac shows and in the team shows, et cetera. Um, but really uh, animal wisdom felt like the first time that I was actually seeing the fullness of who it is that she is aside from her like band concerts and things like that. And I, um, I went to see animal wisdom um, in the months after uh, composer lyricist Michael Friedman had passed. Mm-hmm. And I was having just a lot of grief and I, what I realized was that I actually didn't know how to process it. I didn't know where to go to process it. I talked about it, you know, and I had not yet sort of had an experience in the theater that actually felt like I was um, honoring and recognizing the his passing um, for myself. And Animal Wisdom did that for me. And afterwards, I... I, I mean, I was a mess, Gordon. I literally was like weeping mess. And I went up to Heather and I said, I got to talk to you about this, but I can't talk about it now. And it has just basically, it had stayed with me. And I have been, um, I just think that uh, that piece, it in general, right? We don't have as a society, a lot of outlets to communally talk in this way about the passing of loved ones usually is in church. It's it's a spiritual practice. And what was so moving to me was animal wisdom is Heather's. It almost is like her creating and consecrating a space to have a kind of spiritual practice, a requiem with people in that space. And I found that really moving. Um, So actually it was, in my in my application to be the artistic director of Woolly Mammoth, I wrote it down. I said, <laughs> you know, they ask you for a season. I was like, animal wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> and and knowing that Woolly Mammoth was not a theater company that does musicals. I mean, I think the last musical we did wasn't even a musical. It was Mr. Burns <laughs> by oh, Ann Washburn uh, that right. with Michael Friedman's uh, songs. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's not really a musical. It's a play with music. Right. So I knew right. that I was already sort of pushing the envelope in terms of Wooly Mammoth and thinking about bringing music into into that space. But there are musicals like Animal Wisdom that are, you know, not it just like decidedly not commercial, you know, that are that are really meant to do something else. And it felt like Wooly Mammoth could be a space for musicals like that. And it felt like Animal Wisdom would be the perfect first show to do that. Also the fact that the Bushwick star had done such a, an impeccable job of putting it up that, you know, instead of starting something from scratch to bring something that actually had existed and that I saw that I knew was going to be moving, um, uh, felt really good. Um, and that's, and, and Andy Donald and I who works with Pam um, and that, and that's a, uh, and that was really sort of, where I was talking to Noel of like, okay, let's try to get a tour together. Let's try to actually get something together so that we can make it make sense for it to come to DC and maybe it can go go elsewhere. And I know that ACT had been interested in it before I even called Andy, but it was it was sort of uh, a, a great marriage. And we can talk about the pivoting to the film. That That's its that, own conversation, that, I think. That's gonna be my whole next question. Yeah, yeah so. but first, Pam, I wonder if we could uh, talk a little bit about how you imagined animal wisdom fitting into you know, your own work at ACT and the work that the organization does. Absolutely. Um, I love, Maria, what you said about, well, a lot of things, but I'm gonna pick up on one, one thread, just about space and just about 
I'm working on a show right now called Communion, and we're 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 it's a it's an interactive Zoom play, so it's not in space. But but that's I you know my my job application at ACT also you know pitch a season it didn't include animal wisdom because I didn't have the good fortune to have seen it at Bushwick Star but I talked about space a lot and what what can we do as as gathering places and the Strand Theater our smaller theater continues to be a new space for us when I when I started you know half my 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 tenure at ACT has been in COVID so space less we've been a time theater not a space theater. Um, but, um, you know, I, as a director, I think about architecture. I think about rooms. I talk about roominess for, for, for plays and for storytelling. I want, I want, you know, to, to break that fourth wall and not with direct, not solely with just direct address, but in creative ways. And I felt when Andy Donald, my associate artistic director had mentioned this piece to me, I knew, uh, Heather Christian's work a tiny bit. Um, I saw the archival taping of the Bushwick Star production, and truly, by the first chorus of the first song, I went back to Andy and said, "Yeah, we're in. We're done. This is it." And then also, you know, knowing it was Maria, you know, helming a, a theater that I had worked a, a few times, you know, Woolly Mammoth. It just felt like synergy upon synergy of like, well, this this just has to happen. And you know, so it was supposed to be. It was yeah, it was supposed to be live. It was a co-production. Um, it, it 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 all it all made sense in a very, you know, exciting but traditional co-production way. Right. Um, you know, ACT also doesn't have a history of musicals, though they've done some. Um, and I loved that this is a play with music and is so person-centered, not, you know, is that a real pit orchestra? It's not that. Um, <laughs> and just wanted that, that, that humanness on, on Market Street. Yeah. And so let's talk about the pivot then, because, you know, it was going to, it was going to be a tour that would have happened in the summer of 2020. And uh, it then that couldn't happen. And one of the things that Heather mentioned when we spoke uh, earlier in this episode was about uh, the an, an early idea that involved doing a performance or a limited run that was then filmed for ACT and she had a sort of strong reaction to and didn't think that that was right. How did you all come to figure out a way to make this movie and how how massively different is it from what you the more traditional model as, as you were just discussing of like putting a tour together with it a co-production <laughs> tell me Maria. different there were so <laughs> it is massively different <laughs> and we're not even yep. talking about putting that uh putting the pandemic on top of that you know mm -hmm. um right. so that's the <laughs> You know, when we talked about the possibility of actually filming it, I, rem I, I basically was calling around to different filmmakers to see what, what could we make this for? Because we can't suddenly just find a million dollars to do an independent movie. And that's like a small independent right. movie budget, you know? Yeah. And I remember yeah. when we talked about it with Heather, what she said really clearly was, I already have a really great archival taping of the show from the Bushwick Star. I don't need to do another one of those. If we're going to do this, let's actually challenge ourselves and make it so that it works for the medium. And that got really exciting. But that also was like terrifying <laughs> because I don't know how to make a movie. <laughs> and I certainly don't know how to make one during COVID. Um, and so that, that, that was, it was, uh, 
at every step along the way, I sort of was like, you can press the release valve here, Heather. You know, if you're like, this, this doesn't feel right, <laughs> you know, let's talk through it. Because it really is, as Noel was saying, like, her work is so personal, right? If she's not going to get fully on board and able to actually bring the vulnerability that she needs to, to actually, you know, be in it, sing those songs, actually share this story, it's not going to work. You know, it won't work as a piece, as a, as a piece. Um, so yeah, so we started to pivot. The, the thing really started to coalesce, I think, when we found a director. For me, I don't know if that's the same case for, for you, Noel and Pam, but like we actually had, we talked through different directors, Heather met with some, and um, we found um, Amber McGinnis, who is Southern woman, theater maker and a filmmaker had just done a feature film and was doing the circuit and just she fell in love with the piece and really also the thing that felt like incredibly important in terms of that collaboration was that she knew that she was interpreting a piece heather's piece for film and that heather was still the key artist mary artist and collaborator that is that is also incredibly different in film right usually you have a director who's the auteur who also writes it who is actually coming with like a, that that vision and this was really about collaborating with heather to translate a vision that already existed into um into a the film medium and that i feel really so grateful that amber and her team from outskirt media wanted to wanted to work on it Yeah. There was also, I, you know, I will say there, there, there was an interim moment because because we didn't know that the pandemic was going to be, you know, in our lives for months and months and months. There was an interim moment when Maria, you had uh, a set designer design like boxed in screened rooms, right? That I so blocked that, 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 so that out pods, of my mind, my friend. Like, pods, <laughs> right? Well, and, 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 and then we were going to hop it to the Geary, so to my thousand seat theater, somehow have a socially distant, we were, you know, uh, you know, ACT also has a conservatory. Our students, our third year students, generally get a moment on the Geary stage. We were going to have them in the balcony be the choir. I mean, it went through many live iterations and possibilities that actually started to go down design roads before we realized, ah, film, let's let's find some directors, let's and then you know, Heather's, you know, great meeting with Amber. I mean, you know, just wanted I mean, to bring in that chapter. Holy moly, I just I really, I really put that out of my right? mind. Also because that all happened in the fall when we were all like working on the on what the hell it means to produce during a pandemic. It was just it was so, it felt like such a whirlwind and we're all like, you know, the theater industry is like, you know, furloughing everybody left and right. Like people are out of work. Like it was just, it felt like the wild, wild west, right? And even even until we got into that room, I would say, I was like, there's a chance that this isn't gonna happen. And the reason is, you know, we originally wanted to film it in January and, you know, DC was not, First of all, January was a shit show in DC. I don't know if you remember. There was a, some shit that happened on January 6th. Uh, the inauguration, all of that stuff, was, you know, was a total dumpster fire. And the and then um, we weren't open yet. You know, the the we weren't allowed to actually have more than ten people in our space. And we were trying to get this waiver, 
And then we were denied the waiver. And so we actually did end up doing the filming with only 10 people in the theater at one time doing the filming. And man, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> yeah. And so now that you have it, or it's soon to be completed, I believe Heather was saying when I uh, when I spoke with her, um, how do you, how has digital work fit into, for all three of you, for your seasons and your audiences, and how do you imagine this one sort of fitting into that work you've done, not in spaces, now that, now that at the moment you're not allowed to be in a space? Well, ahead, I'll, I'll jump in real quick and just say, you know, our, our, the stars kind of approach to digital work this past year has been um, to make things that um, want to be watched on the screen um, for one reason or, or another. I don't want to take the live experience that I uh, cherish and try to reproduce it on the screen. Let's let's pivot and make things with the screen if that's where people are going to be watching it. Animal Wisdom kind of falls in a, a you know, a, a different category in the sense that as as Pam and Maria were saying, Heather said, if we're going to make a movie, let's make a movie. Let's not just film a live performance. Let's make a version of this show that is intentionally made to be watched on the screen. So that really fits in with our philosophy. And, you know, uh, it's that it, it, there's kind of, you know, there's something great about the fact that when you experience something live in a in a intimate setting, um, it's a it is that it's intimate, and there's only a certain number of people who can experience it, and that's both like a wonderful thing and also means that not that many people can experience it. So on the flip side, what's really exciting about creating this document, this version of the show, is that so many people can have the the opportunity to experience it, and that. Um, is the part of like this particular venture that I'm I'm really excited about, you know, releasing it out there. Yeah. yeah. And then, so, uh, well, Pam, tell us a little bit about how digital and screen work has sort of existed for your audiences during all this stuff and how Animal Wisdom fits into that. I mean, at the, at the beginning of COVID, um, we pivoted really early. So I feel our spring has been this like, let's pull some levers, you know, let's do a reading series. Let's do something on Zoom that's truly live and interactive. Let's make a movie. Um, and they're, they're all so different. They're all coming out of necessity. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what sticks. I mean, I think that's also what I think a lot of us are thinking about, like, what is the digital when we come back? And if on occasion a, th a theater consortium like this makes a movie, let's do it. Like we, we, we can. Um, if on occasion, you know, a Zoom reading series is what, you know, both can excite artists as well as give our audiences a little bit of extra, let's do it. Like I'm going to hold you, you know, to that, Pam. We'll see what sticks. <laughs> I yeah. know, yeah, I know. Let's, let's Another movie, Maria. Um, because I do, I do think that this is, it just seems crazy to me that we would have all of these, this learning and these experiments and then just like put it away in a drawer and not build upon them. You know, how many years, years since I started in the theater, everybody's been talking about technology and trying to get more in connected into technology. And then we were forced to do it. And now we're going to basically say, oh yeah, but 
we're just going to only focus on being live and in person. My none of this stuff is is meant to replace. It's all additive. And so how can we actually continue to um, learn, experiment, think about pushing the field in, in these various ways? Yeah. And wow. I also think continue to cooperate. I mean, that's been, I've had more conversations with, you know, fellow artistic directors, artists from all over the country than I know I would have, you know, um, had, had this not happened, had we not been. Oh, tell me know, about it. Every single, um, every single project that Willie undertook this year uh, had at least one partner on it. And that, that I, you know, was very different and also was really exciting for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, we can't wait to see uh, how this all evolves going forward. And we definitely can't wait to see uh, Animal Wisdom, which will be out soon. We're looking forward to it. Um, thank you, all three of you, for uh, joining me. It was great to talk Thanks to you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was Noel Elaine, Maria Goyanis, and Pam McKinnon from the three theater companies behind the film Animal Wisdom, available to stream May 15th through June 13th. Tickets at animalwisdomfilm.com. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend about Stagecraft. You can find past episodes or subscribe on all the pod places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you soon. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor, and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.